Welcome to the podcast. Inspiring interviews with today's top landlords. This is the Rental Income Podcast. And now, Dan Lane. Michelle, let me make sure I got your strategy right. So you're buying really beat up, rough properties in horrible neighborhoods. And you're turning around not just the property, but also the neighborhood, right? I, I tend to go into these these rougher areas because I'm kind of used to it. That's what I started um, in. I grew up in Southern California. This is nothing unusual to me. Um, and I am very close with the Huntsville Police Department. And they will come, you know, at any moment that I need help. And so when I tell them, hey, I've got a property I need to empty out they will come. And so um, that's what we do. And of course, the, the city council and everybody, they love me because we go in there and we do that. And then we create value. So we empty it out, we renovate it, um, and we get good tenants in there and we push those values up. Michelle is basically buying rental properties that nobody else wants. These properties are in really bad shape. They've been boarded up for years. But because of that, she's able to buy them for next to nothing she fixes them up, she gets really good tenants in place, and she ends up with a property that cash flows like crazy. So on the show today, we're going to figure out exactly how she does it. Joining us on the show today from Huntsville is Michelle Cummings. We'll take a really quick break. We'll thank our sponsors. We'll come right back and we'll meet Michelle. The first step in buying a rental property is to get pre-qualified. And I would suggest you work with a lender that specializes in working with investors because the last thing you want to have happen is to get to closing and find out the money's not there and you can't close. The lender that I recommend is Chaley Ridge from Ridge Lending Group. She's a nationwide lender and she'll pre-qualify you for free if you mention Rental Income Podcast. Find out more today. Contact Chaley at RidgeLendingGroup.com. That's R-I-D-G-E lendinggroup.com NMLS 42056 Being a landlord just became a lot easier thanks to Tenant Cloud. They have everything you need to manage your rental properties all in one place from taking online applications to creating custom leases specific to your state and collecting rent online. And this is really cool. They actually have local contractors in your area to help you when you have a repair call. That's right, contractors in your area that are there for you when you need them. Everything is right there, all in one place. How much does it cost? Well, this is crazy. It's totally free to sign up. It's not a trial. It's free forever. They do have some paid plans, but it's totally free to sign up and get started. Just go to tenantcloud.com. That's tenantcloud, C-L-O-U-D, tenantcloud.com. Let's start off by talking about the neighborhood that your rentals are in. Well, in Huntsville, all of the, you know, quote unquote, bad areas um, for previous bad areas, they're all up and coming. So like the property that I just picked up is the the worst property in that neighborhood. Like that's the last one to be fixed up and renovated. Okay. Okay. So So you're finding... Uh, the the beat up rundown property is this the kind of property that has broken windows and a, oh, a bunch absolutely. of okay yes, the kicked in doors the uh, the broken windows yeah this one is rough it is it, and are there people generally living in the properties when you buy them or are you 
are you buying vacant properties? Well, uh, you know, the properties I bought at auction and those types of properties, like the one I just picked up, yes, there are people in them. And it's kind of sad because I can't imagine having human beings living in those conditions, first of all. But that's, again, why you have you know, the drugs and the thugs in there. And so, um, that's what we have to go in there and we have to remove them. And so we go in, make our presence known very early on. And so at this, this last property, um, the, the old owner, he had the power on to the whole building, which is a huge mistake because all you do is just attract people to the building. They know the power's on and all they have to do is break in, especially during wintertime. They just break in and they just use your power. Mm. They're warm and they can cook food or whatever they need to do um, on your bill. Right, right. So you really don't want to do that. Um, I'm very against uh, properties being on contract. And then, of course, uh, being on contract, if your tenant ever stops paying their utility bill, guess what? It switched automatically over to you. Right. Okay. So So bad idea. That's really bad. So let, let's talk about one of your deals because like the numbers are just incredible that, that you're buying these properties for. So th- there's a partnership that you're, you're doing right now. Tell me about the property that, that you're buying with your partner. Okay. So it's a, um, it's a 20 unit complex. It's, um, it's a really bad uh, rundown property. That's the one I'm, I'm kind of telling you about that, that has a lot of bad guys in it. It was known for um, being full of drugs and sex offenders and things like that. And I remember the property, um, probably last year, one of the community development guys said, you have to buy this property. And I said, Oh no, 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 no. I don't want that one. And, um, because I knew it was full of problems. Mm -hmm. Well, it was brought to me again, um, after it was foreclosed on. And they said, okay, um, you know, we'll give it to you for this. And then see, now it starts to, to become interesting because if I can get it for a really cheap price, then it becomes, um, something doable. So, um, I said, well, okay, maybe this will work. So, um, you know, essentially I got it for about $9,500 a unit. Wow. So one of the buildings is, um, it has burned, um, it is condemned, but the other three, um, had people in them, um, not in wonderful conditions, but there's people in them. The first thing that I did was I had the old owner turn the power off. It was, um, he had it under contract to where, um, the, the power just stays on and that's, that's bad. So, um, I said, I went around and I told everybody, I said, look, I don't have leases on anybody. I said, if you want to come forward and tell me who you are and have a background check, and then we can maintain you in these units. But if you don't want to do that, then you have to leave. Okay. And I gave him, I gave him a period of time to come forward. Um, the old owner, he turned the power off. And so, um, the people that came forward, they, they got on contract, they went over, they got their utilities on, they showed me their utility switchover notice. And so we maintained probably seven, seven tenants that were there that wanted to stay and they were motivated to stay. And then how did you get rid of the other people? So I went over with the police department and then we just went, we went door to door of the ones um, that were not supposed to have anybody in them or weren't supposed to have, um, you know, weren't on lease agreements. And we um, basically evicted those people or, you know, they, they, um, we trespassed them because they were squatting. All right. So, so for the building, so you you paid about 175 for the building 
Yes. And and so it, it sounds like the building needs a lot of work. Is yes. is that right? Now, yes. so you've got tenants in there that are that are fine living in, with the condition of the property. But is it hard to get tenants in the other units when the, the building needs a lot of work? Well, when they when people see that you're you're fixing the building, you know, the exterior is is the big thing. You know, you start you start uh, rebuilding the outside, painting it and things like that. And they're solid. You know, they're all solid bricks. So um, I'm considering, you know, going in there, uh, repainting the whole exterior, changing the roofs. And so making the outside look really nice and more appealing and then and start on then starting on the insides and making them really nice. And because they're they're more like studio apartments, it's not going to take that much to start um, making them nice and moving people back in. Okay. And so how much will it cost like to, to do the roof, to do the outside, to, to rehab the in, inside units? How much are you budgeting for the entire building? Um, I was hoping at first it was going to run about 150, but um, it's looking like it's going to be um, 50 or $60,000 more than that. So maybe 200, 210. All right. So, two, so 200 to fix it up, 175 for the building. So you're all in, at about three seventy five, and how much will the total rents be for the building when it's fixed up? Um, we're hoping once we get it real nice um, that they're going to be between um, four fifty and four seventy five a piece. A piece, so so somewhere like nine thousand, ten thousand a month for the building yeah. for the whole building. Wow, those are incredible numbers. That that's um, and and so in the neighborhood is a, a good neighborhood. It is an up and coming neighborhood, and that's that's um, that describes a lot of the the neighborhoods in Huntsville. Because what you're finding is that the um, the inventory of housing is so low yeah. that um, you're able to pick and choose your tenants now. It's not like you just have to settle for um, you know tenants with low credit scores or low incomes or anything like that. Uh, we're able to get. Um, good tenants moving into previously rough neighborhoods. And so all the other complexes around that particular complex, they've already fixed up. Okay. Okay. So are you doing Section 8 tenants? I don't um, prefer Section 8. I don't bring in new Section 8s. Um, we, we tend to have... Um, we, we tend to have some problems with the program sometimes, um, and it usually is is tenant related. I mean, this is a this is a tenant check, and the tenants should be concerned about their own check, but sometimes they're not, and they're not always really cooperative. So, at the start of the program, if you're wanting to be on Section Eight, you have to have multiple inspections. You're not always going to pass their first inspection, and sometimes it's for little things like. You need a tub stopper or you need caps over the screws on your toilet or something, something silly like that, that you wouldn't always notice. And it's not always on their list, mm -hmm. but they will fail you for it. So um, things like that. And then um, so after waiting and multiple inspections and then, OK, then you might get approved. Then you have to, um, you know, go through that process with the tenant and everything else. And it's just a long process. So first at the front end, I, I can get a tenant in no time. You know, anything right. under a thousand dollars rents here so fast. And so, um, you know, the question is, why would I wait that long through that process? And then when you have Section 8 tenants, you have a couple of problems. Number one, 
um, they may or may not pay their portion. And during COVID, evictions are very hard. So then you have to decide, well, am I going to try to evict this person for not paying their portion? It might be uh, one one lady I have is $30. So one lady I have is $94. Oh, and those portions change all the time too. Mm, you know, right. so it might be that much one day and then they make you more work because they, they will send paperwork and they say, okay, now their portion is $239. Okay. So then you have to change it in the system and make sure that they pay their $239 instead of $94 or whatever it was. And so then the next part is, is they get an annual inspection. Okay. So on an annual inspection, you know, tenant is messed up the property or whatever. So they have some things that are resident responsibility and they have some that are owner responsibility. And if you do not repair those items, you will not get paid. Then you go into abatement. And that's if, um, even if the resident is required to make their repairs as well. But, um, we've had situations here recently where we went in on the very last day to fix because the tenant just would not let us in the house. Now, why would that happen? You know, it's ridiculous. They're responsible for their own check. And and I've had that happen multiple times. One girl, I said, I called section eight and I said, I'm not fixing their house, not doing it because she has, um, we've literally knocked on her door. She's in there and she refuses to let them in. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like it's just not worth it, you know, to, to deal with that. So I, I, are you screening really good? Because I, I feel like at that price point, at, at a four hundred, five hundred dollar a month tenant, you're you, you got to be really careful to make sure that you're getting a high quality person. So, are you screening really good? Yes, I use um, First Advantage for my screening. It does a complete um, background check, and so they will do a um, a federal. Uh, background check, criminal credit check, social security number verification, terrorist watch list. Uh, they do the um, sex offender list. How did you get into these these lower end rentals? Like, w- what attracted you to to working in this market? Well, I mean, when I started, um, I had I had come to Huntsville and was working at the arsenal for the army as a, um, I'm a certified internal auditor, a certified defense financial manager and a certified fraud examiner. And so I was working for the army and I bought my first property just as an investment, you know, cause I wanted to do um, something else besides um, just working at the arts. And I wanted to have, you know, some kind of retirement. So I bought my first house. Um, it was a three bedroom, one bath for $35,000. Mm-hmm. And my first one wasn't so bad, you know, and then I felt kind of confident and then I bought my next one and it was really bad. And uh, so it cost a lot more money to fix it. And I made all the, the, you know, first time investor mistakes, you know, got in trouble with the city. Like you got to have a permit. Okay. You know, all those things. I did all, all of those things wrong. So, um, but got through it, got fixed and everything else. And then, so when I was doing that house, I met a guy across the street. He had two or three houses in that area. And he had two or three buildings. And so we got to talking to him and he goes, I want to sell all my stuff. And so, um, myself and my husband at the time, we got interested in like, okay, well, this seems interesting and, you know, owning buildings and things. And they were over by the arsenal and I felt like I could maintain them. So we bought his stuff. So two eight plexes and three houses, Three small houses. Why do you think the your first rental went so well? Was it just dumb luck? Probably. 
Yeah. Probably. Cause I mean, it's, it's not always, it's, you know, you just like a car, you know, I mean, a car can look good on the outside. Right. right? And then you, and then you start driving it and the engine goes out. It's just, you buy a lemon sometimes and, um, you just, you just don't know I yeah. mean, when you buy, when you buy an as is it's as is. Right. Right. Wow. All right. So do you think that having that good experience on that first rental just gave you just it kind of empowered you to keep going like do you think if you had had a really tough time on that first deal that you may have said that you know this isn't worth it this is really hard I don't, I don't want to do it I think so I think that people can get discouraged easily you know and it also is a strain on your finances so if you're not in the position to um you know keep up with that like if that's your if if you've decided that that's your sole source of income you know, yeah. those kinds of things, then um, it makes it tough. Yeah. Yeah. Now, today you, you've you left your job at the Armory and you live full time off your, your rental income. How many rentals did it take for you before you felt comfortable to leave your job? Uh, I had like six fourplexes, two eightplexes, and I owned... Um, and I had some houses, you know, I had, um, I had probably, you know, five or six houses. Okay. Now the other thing that, that you, you're known for is for really helping out your, your tenants and tell me about this story. I, I think this is a great story where you had a tenant that wanted to buy a property and came to you and said, Michelle, will you help me buy a house? Tell me what happened. Well, you know, it's really, really difficult right now for first-time homebuyers anyway. And mm-hmm. so sometimes we have to get creative and we work with our wholesalers, our investors, if they have something that they're willing to let somebody buy. So um, I was working with a wholesaler and he was willing to sell this property for $45,000. Now, and I did go in and look at the property and it was very livable. The only problem with the the house, it really needed um, some of the decks reinforced and it needed a roof really bad. Um, he would have been able to, uh, re-roof it and reinforce those decks and own the house outright. So they went ahead and bought the house, but the mistake that he made was he, he had these, he had these ideas of grandiose. He was going to renovate the whole thing and, and he started doing things that didn't make sense. So he, he started knocking down all of the decks that went around the house. You know, instead of repairing them or anything, he just knocked them down. Mm-hmm. And then he left them in the yard. And then he started cutting down trees. He had some guy come and cut down trees. And then he left those in the yard. And um, so the cousin came to me and he said, Michelle, you know, he's not going to move back into the house. And he's in an apartment. And, you know, what are we going to do? And, um, you know, he, he just now he's spent his money and he can't afford to fix it. And, you know, so basically made a bunch of mistakes and now he can't do anything with the house. So, um, you know, of course, I'm feeling bad and I'm just like, gosh, you know what I'm going to do. So anyway, um, I said, OK, I'll buy it back from you. And he had spent, um, you know, six thousand dollars knocking down the decks and some trees. And so I gave him I gave him fifty one thousand dollars for the house. I went ahead and bought the house and trying to decide what I'm going to do with it. Am I going to turn it into a rental? Am I going to knock it down? You know, I talked to my contractor. And so 
we took the roof off the pole barn roof and we um we raised it to a no- normal house roof and it's got a whole upper level beautiful room so two bedrooms upstairs with a hall bath in the middle and then um you've got your main level that used to be 70s carpet and all that kind of stuff we ripped everything out and um we put um, a deck off of the master. We put a deck off of the backside and then there's a deck up to the front door uh, into the main level and um, all new LVP flooring. Uh, everything is new. All the new sheetrock, everything is granite. Um, all of the, all the showers and tubs and everything are all custom tile. Um, so we turned a $51,000 house into a $420,000. Wow. It's too bad things didn't work out for your tenant, but that was really nice of you to buy the property back. And I'm glad it, it worked out. That sounds like a nice flip. If anybody wants to reach out to Michelle, I've got her contact information on the website. In addition to owning rentals, she also owns a property management company and she's also an agent in the Huntsville area. If you want to reach her, you can find her information on the website. Just go to rentalincomepodcast.com slash episode 311. I'd like to thank today's sponsors for making this episode possible. I'd like to thank Tenant Cloud. If you're looking for online leases, online applications, or you want to set up automatic ACH payments for your tenants, you can do it all at tenantcloud.com. I would also like to thank Chaley Ridge from Ridge Lending Group. If Michelle inspired you and you're ready to buy your first property or you want to add to your portfolio, the lender that I recommend is Chaley Ridge. You can find out more and get started today. Just go to RidgeLendingGroup.com. That's R-I-D-G-E, LendingGroup.com. If you mention Rental Income Podcast, she will waive all the pre-qualification fees. NMLS 42056. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Make sure you subscribe or hit follow on whatever app you're listening to the show on, and you'll get notified as soon as the next episode comes out. My name is Dan Lane, and this has been the Rental Income Podcast. Do more with modern devices. Windows 10 Pro devices powered by the Intel vPro platform empower your team to work smart, whether they're remote or on-site. They also improve IT efficiency, reducing costs and complexity. Plus, modern devices powered by the Intel vPro platform help protect your team and your data, preventing up to 99% of identity attacks. Rise to the challenge and invest in modern devices with Windows 10 Pro powered by the Intel vPro platform so we can all move forward together. Learn more from Microsoft partner CDW at cdw.com slash rise to the challenge. I'm Josh Klein. And I'm Elise Hugh. Elise is an incredible broadcast reporter and journalist. And Josh is a hacker turned technologist. Turned podcast host? (laughs) On Built for Change, a new podcast from Accenture, we cover disruption and innovation. To share with business leaders what they need to know now in order to shape their futures. If this past year has taught us anything, it's that change waits for no one. It's up to you to start the conversation. Subscribe to Built for Change so you don't miss an episode. Do more with modern devices. Windows 10 Pro devices powered by the Intel vPro platform empower your team to work smart, whether they're remote or on-site. They also improve IT efficiency, reducing costs and complexity. Plus, modern devices powered by the Intel vPro platform help protect your team and your data, preventing up to 99% of identity attacks. Rise to the challenge and invest in modern devices with Windows 10 Pro powered by the Intel vPro platform so we can all move forward together. Learn more from Microsoft partner CDW at cdw.com slash rise to the challenge.
Business leaders are currently standing on the precipice of the biggest fundamental shift that we have seen in decades. The status quo is out the window. Things are not going back to the way that they were. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Josh Klein. We're the hosts of Built for Change, a new podcast from Accenture. On Built for Change, we hear from business leaders about the urgent challenges companies are facing as they step into the future. We're talking about the changing workforce, sustainability, new technologies, and so much more. Subscribe to Built for Change now so you don't miss an episode. You can listen to us on the go. It's Nicole Leffin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. If you are finally ready to get your financial life together and make more money, listen to my new daily podcast, Money Rehab, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of the More Mojo podcast, how much money do influencers really make? Uh, We've got the details on that. And how would you like to become one? That mojo ain't no good. More Mojo Podcast. I was looking at this thing. I'm thinking to myself, man, I want to become an influencer. Did you guys... uh, uh, see this? Yeah, I find a lot of holes in that. Uh, These, that that s- news story is, is kind of not really accurate. Social media salary calculator from Licked. Or Liked, I'm sorry. Licked. Licked would be better. <laughs> liked. Liked sounds better than Licked. Although Licked would be... Uh, would be a good one for uh, there probably people is something be, for Licked. I think that's different. I think that's people different. who want to uh, be ice different. cream uh, tasters or something, right? Definitely. Thanks. <laughs> Um, so there's a, there's a tool to use, uh, that you can uh, show like what your desired salary should be. If you have an excessive amount of like YouTube, uh, views, Instagram and, uh, uh, TikTok, uh, talk, uh, subscribers or followers. And, um, they'll, they show you in this article that, uh, and I guess we can give like kind of an example but if you have a thousand YouTube subscribers with eight million yearly views, five hundred Instagram uh, followers with a hundred and eight sponsored posts a year, ten thousand TikTok subscribers with ninety four million views a year, that you earn an annual salary of thirty five thousand dollars a year. By uh, doing all that stuff, that just seems like a lot of that seems like a lot of followers to get just a little bit of money. I was going to yeah. say, do you want to do that? I mean, I don't know. That seems like you're not making enough money off that thing. A lot of like influencer, or at least people I watch on YouTube, like YouTube is one facet of their income or job. Like, there's no way that's all you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and tell me if I'm I mean, wrong, be Shannon, wrong. but the algorithms of, of becoming an influencer, they don't just care. It's not just you have 5,000 followers. It's the engagement. reaction, the engagement your post gets, how many click-throughs to the ads or the website or whatever. Because, so if you, you have 5,000 followers, they're not going to – it doesn't matter if, if you only have 5,000 followers and nobody's clicking, especially when this one where it says if you do 300 posts a year, it's like – what? Which followers of yours are going to stick around for you to do a post every single day? I think because so many people buy bots. They buy 
they essentially like buy their friends. Right. So you, yeah. do you see what I'm saying? So if you're if you're buying fake followers, then there's there's not going to be any engagement. Right. Nobody's so clicking on that. So you, your number of followers doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. You want to make a hundred thousand dollars? You need to have uh, uh, at least a thousand YouTube subscribers, and then twenty three million yearly views. That's a lot. Yeah. How are you getting twenty three million views with a thousand followers? Um, Five thousand uh, well. Instagram followers, three hundred and eight sponsored posts. What's a sponsored post? Is that how many posts you do a year? No, sponsored no. is if you have a, a sponsor on your post, like if someone's paying you for yeah, it. Yeah, but you're doing 300, you have to do at least 380 yeah. a year. Yeah. So like if 10, I'm doing 000. this, so if I want to have an Instagram to, and I want to advertise this water bottle, they want me to post 308 times to make $100,000. But you know how they do that. They do it. It happens all the time. Yeah. You can even see it on uh, TikTok with the coldest water. They just put it in the background. Yep. It, like they literally it has nothing Product to do with placed. water bottles or water or anything. Yeah. They'll just be sitting talking and the water bottle sitting on a shelf behind them. Love it. Good for them. And Ten- I think nowadays it's much harder to gain followers than it is for views and yeah. interactions because people don't just follow anybody anymore. You have to get like four or five good posts for somebody to finally follow you. How, how is this? 10,000 minimum uh, TikTok subscribers, but you have 270 million uh, s- subscribers that's all our views i'm sorry well tiktok views? especially is a, mm-hmm. a platform where people don't follow as heavily as like instagram like instagram you only see what you follow mm-hmm. and tiktok you have your for you page and that's such a heavy component of it that if you have one video that goes viral you can get 12 million views on one video yeah. do you really think that there's have like do, do you guys followers. think that those are really 12 million views or do you think that they that they, uh, it's like me. No way it's like me when I say we yeah. have uh, three thousand or three million listeners. TikTok well, can make up wait, their numbers. Don't. They're a Chinese company. No. There's no open book. I honestly, to see. God, really believe not that. three million. No, <laughs> we're, we're over. No, we have three million a week if you add up all the platforms. Not like oh. in the three cities plus the iHeart app and all that. No, stuff. I don't know. Because I can, I can quantify. I could show you how many listeners our podcast gets every let, week. Let, let Here's me... how I know the views though are real. Because every time I get excited and send <laughs> Ellen <laughs> TikTok, I knew exactly goes, what you were gonna say. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so I already know that. I don't say what that mean. I say I, I just got this one yesterday. By the way, don't you, don't you feel like it's. Uh, like it's deflating, Megan, when when she does that to you. No, it's validating that I. So, okay, especially when it comes to TikTok, it's formulated based on what you like, what you comment on, who you follow. Like it, it, it formulates, and sometimes yeah. you fall into these pit holes of like terrible places that you shouldn't be on TikTok. <laughs> and sometimes really, I what send are you them, saying, yeah, like, Ellen? Well, not like like that, like um. Sometimes this might be a little bit too much. I fall into like these weird depression holes on TikTok, which I find to be hysterical. Sometimes I think it's a cry for help for people. So sometimes I'll send it to Ellen like, this is funny, right? Like, please tell me this is funny. And it's not me just getting like scary. And (laughs) she'll be like, oh, that's hysterical. And then I'm like, all right. It's not just a weird hole. Like other people find this funny too. So sometimes you need validation of like, is this like, should I... Should I be self-evaluating myself or is this still funny? See, I always feel like d- down when somebody says, yeah, I already saw it because I got so excited about it and I'm going, well, you already watched the rerun of whatever the TV show or, you know, uh, The Office. You see the you see that episode of The Office 12 or 1,000 times, but you still at least laugh at it, yeah. laugh at this thing. Well, I didn't, when I say like, oh my gosh, I got this one yesterday, I'm not saying like, I'm not going to watch it again. I'm saying like, 
Yeah, isn't that funny that I also got that? Like, right. yeah, isn't uh, it funny? It's like watching The Office. See, a but Mojo times. always sends things to me that I've seen four days ago, and I just kind of like I'm. I, can't, so I don't want to say seen it because I don't. Cool. That's why. Well, no, you. I spend a lot more time, sadly, on all these platforms than you do. So I just don't want to say that, and I feel it's insulting to be like, saw yeah, it. See, thank you. So I just give him a little like. Or Alan just, doesn't. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm sorry that I'm so honest with you that I yeah. simply couldn't. You know what actually hurts my feelings so much more than that? What's that? I go back and forth with our boss, Tony, in TikToks all the time, and he will not comment, react, That's say anything. I send him a TikTok. No LOL or and anything? And he just sends me a different one back. And I'm like, acknowledge what I sent you. Tell me <laughs> no. it's funny. <laughs> what? I, have, I have curated a For You page just for you. Like, can't you just, <laughs> can you at least acknowledge that you saw this? Like, I just want, I'm like, like, I send them to him for a reason. Sometimes it's like, wouldn't this be a good idea for our talent to do? And he sends me back one of like a dog. And I'm like, that's not <laughs> what this was for. This was, no. That's me on the morning show group chat. Do you know how many times I send stuff with fucking crickets back? I sent Macklemore this morning and Mojo reacted in pity. That was a total pity one, too. I was in the shower when you sent it. I felt bad for you that nobody reacted. I do that for Megan, too. A text that you get in the shower when you get out of the shower? I was driving. It was unsafe. Can you not respond to a text later? Isn't that the point of texting? I'm looking at it. The other day, I sent the best thing to the group chat. It was on 420. And I said, well, my FBI agent deserves a raise because I got a push notification for something that we were talking about. And... No, nothing. When did you yeah, send be, it? Was it during fair, the show? It was imme- no, no, no. It was immediately following the Derek Chauvin verdict. So it was like oh. a heavy yeah. time. Oh, you're right, you're right, yeah. You're Everybody's right. like, wow, guilty. Look, wow. The whole conversation's about like five minutes ago, the, the verdict came down. Okay. And zooted, tooted, and super high. Megan's like, hey, guys. Bullshit. Who was the one that told you the verdict was coming? Uh, Reese. No. No, no Megan, Megan did. did. Megan did. did. Megan did. Go- that's, honestly, that's why I didn't react though, because I was like, I don't, I don't know the appropriate. I, I, yeah. Can I can I go back? Can I go back to the influencer thing real quick? Because yeah. yeah, and by is, the way, is, is, is Shannon, you you're the only one that influences, right? Does any anybody well, else we, here make money? Well, we when all you do. see my no, I'm talking when about you see me media, today yeah. on my Instagram, sipping the enjoyable, smooth, spicy taste. Of Jack Rye, just know I got a hundred thousand dollars. What? What? We gets, all technically do it now. Well, we no, we do it on the air. We do it on the air, but and we don't social media. We no, don't. We but do, but we you whore yourself out a little bit more on social media. I than wouldn't we do. say I whore myself out. I say no to a lot more than I say yes to. But you do more. But like I like you, Spike. You don't sell stuff on your on your social. I media, have do? maybe four clients that I will do digital endorsements for and influence yeah. stuff because I I want I just want to do very sparse things that I actually would use and stuff. I don't See, want. See, I seem only like, do stuff I use. Mm-hmm. So, which one gets, or which ones get the most interaction that you post? Are they the the makeup stuff? Is it the kids things? Is it the food? What is it? Uh, probably my the one that gets the most engagement is Loopy cases, the phone cases. So people like Loopy cases. By the way, I hate Loopy cases. Things. Do you like Loopy cases? I, I mean, I know you, Shannon does because she's. But, re- but you don't have. Them. You don't. But they. But I look at lo- like I look at Loopy cases. Everybody all the time must go, be buying them because they're spending crazy money. Uh, those and yeah, pop that's... sockets. Who the hell wants those things there? there? That's probably the biggest. Right Ellen loves hers. Really? I love my pop sockets. Yeah. But, oh my god. But like, it's funny because you know Shannon and I have like sixty, seventy thousand followers each on our Instagrams alone. Our morning show page is one hundred and twelve thousand followers. I see people trying to influence on on Instagram to have like four thousand followers. That's called a micro influencer. Yeah, but it's funny to me because they're 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 doing videos of how to how to get ahead and get your post noticed. I'm like, 
If you are getting those, you, how are you telling me how to get followers yeah, when you have 4,000 followers? The point of a micro-influencer, if someone who has 4,000 followers, is that they're much more connected to those 4,000 people than someone For who sure. has 100,000. And actually, like, I give those people a ton of credit because they're hustling mm-hmm. and yeah. their engagement might be like through the roof. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. like they may only have 4,000 followers, but what if 1,000 of those people buy whatever product they're selling? They could be doing way better business for those brands than someone who has like 200,000 followers but maybe only 11 people actually buy the thing. I don't have like, you know they're ton. just scrolling yeah. through But sadly really a lot quickly. of them don't even realize the value of their platform like Shannon and I know people that just do it for a free lunch and you're like you know you could charge like hundreds of dollars for that yeah, same but some post. people don't want to. Some people want the free That's lunch. That's their yeah. yeah. But I get sick of that. I've unfollowed people cuz they're just constant every day doing really? some sort of ad, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I just don't even look at it then. <laughs> like, I don't even go through. <laughs> like, honestly, if I if I feel like it's too much, I just won't even. I'll skip over. So I don't like. I don't. Do you randomly on your on the stories just go randomly to story to story to story, or do you look for people well, when you're when I you're looking just, at a story? I click through. Do you, I just click through? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I I look for whoever I want to see and see what they're up to, and then you know skip on Instagram. Skip. Oh yeah, you click through. I oh, go, I I go up to the feed. top. No, I go right up to the top oh, of the, the story. Stories? Well, I shows look and the people that you I say, look at oh, the most. Shannon, I want to see what mm-hmm. she's doing because mm-hmm. I want to keep in touch with you know people from the show. But I, there are you know there are some people I'm like eh, I really don't give a shit you know mm-hmm. move on to the next and one. Most, oh, is that me? Is that when you see me? Megan, <laughs> come on, <laughs> no. I realize his personal account. And most people don't knows. listen with sound. They only click through with the sound off. Do you notice that too? Yeah, you do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't usually keep the sound up a lot yeah. unless unless it's something interesting. Like if you like, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Shannon. When you're doing, I know when you're doing a product and when you're yeah. doing like like your kids and stuff and hang out. If you're doing something personal, like if there's a picture of literally like Smith riding his bike down the street, yeah, I will watch that. Yeah, the the product stuff, I'll I'll go. Well, it's not. I'll go through it's not, quick. It's not. You're not the demo. I'm yeah, not. The, it doesn't make sense. I right. totally get that. But and, that's where I'm saying going and back I'm on to a budget. that person. I'm budgeting they, right now. So they I don't say you need to do 380 <laughs> posts. I'm like, I'm I'm getting rid of you if you're doing these posts that many posts about products. I'm like, I'm not interested. I should, jeez, I should take the the Mojo in the Morning uh, social and and uh, uh, try to make money off of it and see what I can make make uh, <laughs> make some cash with the thing. Could you imagine it's that? A lot of money. You, you know what ha- you know what would happen, Megan, if I if I started mm. doing it, I'd do it for one day and then I'd go. This is fucking annoying. It is a lot of work. You I, know what I did yesterday? I got to put a water bottle in the corner of my. I would die for this kind of work. Are you kidding me? I was really? going to put this oh, in my yeah, topics. I could not. Yesterday I spilled. A whole glass of Jack Daniels into my brand new sofa because I was trying to pose the stupid picture of me holding, and I was like, "Oh, I can't reach my phone." I go to reach it, I knocked the whole thing, and it just poured into my couch. I was like, "Great!" Now my living room smells like Jack for the next month because of this one stupid picture I'm trying to take. So did did you like if you had to have your your couch cleaned by like Hagopian? Would it cost you more to get your couch clean than you actually made off of that? Uh, well, One post? No, but I ran all the way out to Kroger. I was starving. I wanted to have dinner, but I was like, oh, my God, I got to get an upholstery cleaner. I don't have anything to clean this up with. And it was like it took the rest of my night. So, really, I probably would have rather just had my night and not get paid. than do, do they send you, Shannon, like all the stuff that you're you're posting? Like, do you get it in boxes and, and things? So, if it's something that I say yes to and I'm actually doing, I have to actually use it. Like, truly, I will not. I will so you'll try it out. Something. You'll try it out try ahead it out. of time. If and I then... don't like it, I can. It's tell against them yes or the no. law. You yeah. can't advertise something so, you don't use. It's what... like an actual federal law, 
And I had a mattress company that wanted me to talk about their mattress. I go, well, I need to lay on it first. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not going to tell people to go buy a $2,000 mattress if I've never even mm-hmm. laid on one. How many loopy mm-hmm. cases do you have at home right now? I actually, I, I only have this one right now because I give them to like my friends and my sister. Okay. And All right. has got one. So, so that's kind of cool. So you get love to- it because my friends have lots of makeup and skincare for free. <laughs> yeah. I, I can only imagine that the Amazon driver or the UPS driver, whoever, <laughs> thinks that you are like uh, racking up credit card bills, yeah, right? No, I'm not. Man, I don't make my deal. I go out and buy my Jack Daniels. I need them to send me some. Come on, they do not. Yeah. The, the, our sales if department doing... doesn't buy you your Jack. No, I go out and buy it. I'm getting paid. To talk. You I'm got getting... a, You need a new agent. No, I'm getting paid to talk about it. So I'm just taking that out of my what they're paying me. Hmm. I endorsed a tequila and they gave it to me. Did yeah. they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Green same with me and the vodka with uh, talk- ripped off. Well, I was being nice to Janelle because I know they just it comes out of the salesperson's money if they go buy it for you. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. It's funny. I, now I I get so I'm I guess I become so jaded because of we do what we do that I'll, I'll when I watch things or or see anything you know like a somebody trying to tout something i get jaded because i know that there are some people that aren't they'll just really take, they'll looking say yes at to everything yeah they're not using whatever yeah they're just I re- as, I as norm schrott our agent used that. to say you are a horror right a whore a horror oh my god a if whore. you saw, saw the list of some of the stuff they ask us to do and it's like no so, like i there's things i believe in my car my apple computer products my beer and my coffee like there's a few things i will say yes to because it's me and my lifestyle i'm not gonna like you know, go out. There's some of the crazy stuff they ask us to do. So can I uh, uh, ask these guys that have like huge amount of followers, like TikTok and stuff, like Brew, who uh, worked here in town, now he's in Los Angeles, has like millions of followers. Is he making any money off of that thing? Oh yeah, he TikTok, is making money. TikTok's different because they have something called the Creator Fund. So mm-hmm. if you get yeah. into the Creator Fund, you get paid based on like your views and interactions and YouTube is the same way. So, Instagram so what do you, like that. what YouTube's kind of money? insane. You can, what? I mean, look at those little kids. They just sit there and open gifts all day and they're millionaires. All Dude, day. Ryan, and I watch Ryan's world every flipping day in my house. Do you know that he and his family are worth 20, I think the last I checked, 24 What's Ryan's million world? dollars. It's a little boy who now he's like eight or nine, but he started by just doing toy reviews on YouTube and now he has... Um, a toy line that you can get at like Target, wow. Walmart, Paper Source, and he has his own show on Nickelodeon. You can get a it's loopy insane. line, Shannon. You can get your own Shannon brand. Um, <laughs> that's so. So it's based on how many they that it's seen, right? Uh, I don't know how they do it on YouTube. On the platform. Even if it's even if it's just him dancing to a, a a weekend song. Yeah, on YouTube, it's just view. It's just eyes on the video. That's all it is. And then they send you a check. Is it uh, kind of like you're a uh, an Uber driver or something? It's, um, on <laughs> YouTube and I believe TikTok is the same way. Instagram is not. You don't get paid to have Instagram followers or to have people liking your picture. So people who are Instagram famous or like Instagram models, they have um, sponsors of their posts. So like hashtag ad is a thing because of that. On YouTube, I'm pretty sure and on TikTok, it's basically all of the money that those sites generate from ads that they place on their site that's how they pay the creators who create their content because really without that like it's if you are a youtuber you essentially are providing youtube their their product you know what i mean yeah so, their, the content is yeah. the product so they pay and tiktok is the same way where they pay people directly but it's based on yeah your number of followers i think tiktok it has something to do with your interactions and i could be wrong 
but um yeah youtube and and tiktok both pay people directly instagram doesn't i don't believe no facebook definitely doesn't twitter doesn't uh, but video platforms do hmm. well I uh, have no influence at all, so I'm going to... Uh, you have plenty of influence. You just have literally zero desire to eat. I have zero you desire. You have so I'm much influence. You. Think about Ideal You and how many people have yeah. changed their life because you, you did it Thanks, and talked Shannon. about it. I'm serious. Well, let me... You know what? Since my best friend Kelly's Shannon, mom lost 71 pounds, she just told me yesterday. And my friend Bob has not dropped his phone once <laughs> since he's well, checked out your loopy cases. <laughs> I've never heard a morning show host go... I don't like doing ads. I don't want to do any of this stuff. Well, I'm not going to do our that. Lifeblood. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, stay on here, and you'll probably hear another ad coming yeah. up here in a second on this podcast. <laughs> Whatever you're funny, Peacock's got it exclusively. Bears beats The Office on Peacock. Stream every moment from Dunder Mifflin and explore bonus extras and exclusives. Plus, if you're looking for more classic hits, you can stream every episode of Parks and Recreation, Two and a Half Men, and every season of SNL. In the mood for something brand new? Check out Peacock's original comedies, The Amber Ruffin Show, and Saved by the Bell. Whether you're craving a new binge or familiar fave, you can find tons of comedy hits on Peacock. Get started for free at PeacockTV.com. Keep listening to our weekly episodes to find out more. I'm Elise Hugh, and you're listening to TED Talks Daily. Corporate diversity programs. If you work for a mid- to large-sized company, your office probably has one. But are they working? Legal scholar Joan C. Williams calls them a failure, and her 2020 TEDx Mile High Talk lays out why these programs don't live up to their lofty goals. By the end, you'll learn ways to interrupt our biases to make diversity programs actually work. Hey, TED Talks Daily listeners. I'm Adam Grant. I host another podcast from the TED Audio Collective. It's called Work Life, and it's about the science of making work not suck. Next time... I think he just declined the invite. I felt like why he's being so rude. I was just uncomfortable because this is going to create another conflict, right? We can't hide from conflict at work, but we can learn to understand it and manage it better. Find Work Life on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. TED Talks Daily is brought to you by Lululemon. I am a longtime runner, and my attitude about workout clothing is I don't want to have to think about it at all. And that's why I run in Lululemon. These days I work out a lot alone, but I prefer doing it with friends. I have such great memories of really bonding with whoever I'm running with. My friends, they trust Lululemon too. My running buddy Rob wears the men's Lululemon running shirt that comes in short sleeve or long, and he says it's so light so dry, so breathable, you'll never run in another shirt again. You can get your own. Shop the fast and free shirt at lululemon.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Odoo. Odoo's suite of business apps has everything you need to run a company. Think of your smartphone with all your apps right at your fingertips. Odoo is just like that for business. But instead of an app to order takeout or tell you the weather, you have sales, inventory, accounting, and more. You name the department, we've got it covered, and they're all connected. Join the 6 million users who stopped wasting time and started getting stuff done. Go to odoo.com slash TED to start a free trial. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash TED. In 2018, two black men went to a Starbucks to wait for a business associate. 
But when they asked to use the bathroom, the manager ordered them to leave. They refused. He called the police, and the video went viral. Amidst an avalanche of bad publicity, Starbucks closed all stores across the country for four hours of diversity training. And so baristas were handed workbooks with prompts like, what makes me, me, and you, you, and understanding our bias from colorblind to color brave. This made newspapers across the country, and arguably that was the goal. Look, everyone, we're solving our diversity problem. The assumption, though, was that you could address structural racism with a, an earnest conversation about our feelings. My take, give me a break. To address structural racism, you need to change structures. So in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, my sense is that many companies are feeling pressure to actually deliver on their diversity goals, but they haven't a clue what to do. And that's because we spent probably close to a billion dollars on diversity, but the basic tools of the diversity industrial complex, they just don't work. A one-shot bias training, it, it doesn't work for a really simple reason. Doing anything once won't change a company's culture. And the other basic tools, things like an employee resource group, or a woman's initiative, they're fine if the problem is with the women and the people of color, but it's, it's not. If a company faces challenges surrounding diversity, typically it's because subtle and not so subtle forms of bias are constantly being transmitted through their basic business systems, through hiring, through performance evaluations through access to opportunities. So we need to stop trying to fix the women and the people of color. We need to fix the business systems. And if you think about it, this makes sense because if a company was facing challenges with sales, it wouldn't respond by holding a series of sincere conversations about how much we all value sales and put on programming for National Celebrate Sales Month and expect sales to improve. But that's a lot of what we're doing in the diversity context. If we really want to tackle diversity effectively, we need to use the same tools businesses use to tackle any business problem, evidence and metrics. And, you know, I suspect this will come as a relief to a lot of CEOs who feel far more comfortable using those tools than they do with trying to lead a deep conversation about the inner workings of social inequality. You know, the first step is for us to understand what bias looks like on the ground. And I and my team at Work Life Law we have been studying how bias plays out in everyday workplace interactions for well over a decade. And what we find is that the same patterns of bias, the same five patterns, they emerge 
over and over again. The first pattern we call prove it again. Some groups have to prove themselves more than others. This is triggered by lots of different things. It's triggered by race and gender, age, disability, LGBTQ status, even social class. So one study, for example, looked at callbacks offered to white men with identical qualifications but different hobbies. One resume listed things like sailing and polo. And the other resume listed things like counseling first-generation college students and country music. And if you can believe it, Mr. Polo, he got 12 times the number of callbacks as Mr. Country Music. Too often when we talk about privilege, we forget about class. The second pattern is called the tightrope, and it reflects the fact that a a certain in-group of white men just need to be authoritative and ambitious in order to succeed. But women walk a tightrope where they may be seen as abrasive if they're authoritative, but unqualified if they're not. And people of color who behave assertively often are written off as angry if they're black, even hot-headed if they're Latinx, and sometimes as untrustworthy if they're Asian American. The next pattern we call the tug of war, and it reflects the fact that sometimes bias against a group fuels conflict within the group. So, for example, If there's room for only one woman or person of color, it's entirely predictable. Women are going to be super competitive with other women and people of color competitive with other people of color. The fourth pattern of bias is actually the strongest form of gender bias called the maternal wall. And it reflects assumptions that mothers aren't committed, probably shouldn't be, and aren't competent. Think pregnancy brain. So mothers often find they have to prove themselves yet again when they return from maternity leave. And if they do, they may be seen as bad mothers and so as bad people and disliked. The final pattern consists of racial stereotypes. So Asian Americans again and again report that they're seen as a great match for technical skills, but lacking in leadership potential. And Our studies show that black professionals, oh, again and again, report really high levels of isolation and often startling forms of disrespect. And an Asian American professional may be seen as too emotional in a discussion where, you know what, a white man behaving exactly the same way would be seen as having a career-enhancing passion for the business. And so what we find is that white women report four patterns of bias. Men of color also report four. Women of color report all five in very substantial proportions. And among women of color, black women report the most bias as a group. But the bottom line really is that the experience of white men as a group differs from that of every other group. 
if a white man is a first-generation professional or LGBTQ, he may encounter bias, but, but most aren't. These biases can have really serious negative effects. You know, there's a ton of research. But here's a story that really says it all. We were working with one company, and we spoke to a woman engineer who had found a mistake in one of the calculations of a male colleague, and she pointed it out. Um, when she pointed it out, she was violating an unwritten rule. The good woman is seen as modest, self-effacing, and nice, not a mission-driven expert. That's why male experts in meetings exert more influence, but you know what? Female experts, they actually exert less influence than female non-experts do. And so when this engineer pointed out the mistaken calculation, she told us, the response of her department was so massively negative that she said, now I'm just smiling a lot and bringing in cupcakes. This company, by allowing gender bias to go unchecked, was literally jeopardizing their mission. So what's the solution? The solution is to use bias interrupters, new tools my team has developed that are evidence-based and metrics-driven. And I've just told you about a lot of the evidence. Metrics are also super important because they help you pinpoint where things are going wrong. So if a company has challenges with hiring, they should be keeping track of who is in the original pool of candidates and who survives resume review and who gets called to interview and who survives the interview. And the reason that's important is because the fix, if you have a non-diverse original pool, it's totally different than the fix if no woman ever survives the interview because every woman is either too witchy or too meek. Metrics are also super important for another reason, to establish baselines and measure progress. If you use evidence and metrics, what we have found is that small tweaks can have really big effects. So we've worked with one company, for example, who asked us to look at their performance evaluations. And when we did, we found that only 9.5% of the people of color had leadership mentioned in their performance evaluations. That was 70 points lower than white women. And that was super important because, as you can imagine, mentions of leadership predicted advancement. And so we worked with them to do two simple things. First, we redesigned the performance evaluations form. And second, we helped them develop a simple one-hour workshop that, among other things, projected actual comments from the prior year's performance evaluations and asked people a simple question. Which of the five patterns of bias does this represent, or is it no bias? Just doing that, we found in year two, 100% of the people of color had leadership mentioned in their performance evaluations. 
You know, at this company, white women, they had a different problem. Almost 20% had comments in their performance evaluations that they didn't really want to make partner. This was a partnership. And we suspected, you know, the women hadn't actually said that. It was just assumptions. And so in that one-hour workshop, we told people, hey, don't say this unless you've actually had a conversation and then someone has told you they don't want to make partner. In year two, only one woman got that comment, one woman in the entire company. And so what we find is that we have helped over 100 companies actually make progress towards their diversity goals. And there's growing evidence that these bias interrupters work. And the best thing about them is that they help every single group. So in this company I've been talking about, um, in year two, people of color, they got wildly more constructive feedback. It was like a 30% jump. But white women, they got more constructive feedback too. And so did white men. If you design your systems based on evidence, it's going to help every single group. So the bottom line, if you think about it, your systems and your culture, they reflect the people you've already hired. So if you want to replicate that workforce into the future, definitely keep on doing exactly what you're doing. But if you don't, if you actually want to make progress on diversity, equity, and inclusion, what we call DEI, my message to CEOs is reassuring. You already know what to do. Use standard business tools. Start from the evidence, gather metrics to establish baselines and measure progress, and keep at it until you achieve your goals. That's the new DEI playbook, and it works. Thank you. TED Talks Daily is hosted by me, Elise Hugh, and produced by TED. Theme music is from Allison Layton Brown, and our mixer is Christopher Fazy Bogan. We record the talks at TED events we host or from TEDx events, which are organized independently by volunteers all over the world. And we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or email us at podcasts at TED.com. Thanks for listening. Here's Foden. It's good ball to Mares. And he slots in Bernardo Silva. Foden! Another brilliant performance from Phil Foden in Manchester City's 2-1 win at Aston Villa in a game in which both sides ended up with 10 men. Did we see both sides of, of Manchester City in this game, the brilliant attacking, creative skill and the ability to, to strangle a game almost? Yeah, they did. I mean, they struggled with the first 10 minutes. They had a couple of good chances, they went one new up and then, mm. and then once Villa scored, you thought, this is going to be one of those games. But then they slowly but surely grew into the game. 
and especially with Foden, uh, Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, the three of them were just majestic tonight. They were absolutely incredible the way they moved the ball, the way they run, the way they chase, the way they close. They're just they're great examples to any young footballer. And in Phil Foden, I think we, we, of course, we've all done it. I've got excited about young talents before, but this kid is the real deal. He's amazing for a young player to play with so much flair, aggression, everything you want from a young player. You know, he's, he's incredible because sometimes you worry when young kids get it too much too early, they're going to lose that hunger and desire. But if this kid keeps accelerating at this rate, anything is possible for him. He's frightening, Darren, isn't he? He's unbelievable. Um, I mean, as I said, he's creative play, he's touch. Um, I like the goal threat that he possesses as well. And I was one of them kind of questioning Guardiola, like, let him loose like, a couple of seasons ago. Give him more game time, give him more game time. But he was like, no, hold him back. And obviously we can see why, because now he's starting to look like the real deal. And I can't see how he doesn't start for England at the Euros, because for me, he's playing that well. I can't forgive any well, many English players that are playing better than him right now. No. And then he could play from the middle or operate from the left. So I would start him. I would, I would have to start him. Well, that's, I mean, I, I agree with you at the moment, because if he's, he's almost up against his mate, Raheem Sterling. And he's got to pick one of them. Because if you look at, say, you've got Rashford, Kane's a certainty. Mm. But if you're going to play him on that side, you know, and Sterling at the moment, something's going on. Yeah. I don't know why he's sort of in and out of the team. He seems to have fallen out with Pep. But he certainly hasn't. I know he hasn't played as many games, but he's always involved. And he's phenomenal. And he yeah. got that, like he did the weekend when he tried to drag his team you know, to a result against Chelsea. He did the same again today. Yeah. He also seems very cool and composed. Yeah. It seems as though, as though nothing phases him. Exactly. And for a young player, as well, as you said there, you're right. He get, when he gets on the ball, he's no fear, shows real bravery, will take the ball in tight areas. And he certainly looks like a player that he, he can only be at Manchester City, the way that they play. I mean, to express himself like that at such a young age, and as I said, the way at times like there are more senior players on that pitch, when they're struggling a little bit, he's the one grabbing the ball, getting the ball, trying to make things happen. But what I like about him is every time he gets the ball in the final third, he'll do something that affects the game. Whether he crossed the ball, has a shot of goal, lays someone in. As I said, I'm a big, big fan of his and he's only going to get better as well. Real deal. We can hear from his club captain talking about Phil Foden. Here he is with Jeff Shreves. Phil Foden got one of the goals. As a senior player yourself, how impressed are you with the way he is maturing and the way he's playing? Well, we know, I know him about five years now, so since he was a little boy, he comes to training with us, showed his quality, and there uh, was no doubt about that. And of course, he's really mature now. He's taking the action a little bit better, you know, he's, he's chose better his actions. And of course, today he scored, and another game he, he was awesome as well. And I'm so pleased and so happy for him because he's a nice guy, nice boy, and he deserves all the best in his life. But we, we're waxing lyrical about Phil Foden. Let's take a look at some of his, his best moments in, in the game, Jamie, because he was involved in a, lo- a lot of the creative play for Manchester City and, and both goals. We certainly look at his first goal, Kelly, and, and I think you've got to highlight Edison because in Edison, <laughs> Darren and I were waxing lyrical, but they've got one of the best passes of the ball in the football. I mean, he hits this ball. It's almost under his feet. He just gets, as he rolls it out, he just goes like a rocket. Zinchenko makes a great run, and then that then obviously opens up the space where they get that movement where... There's the goal scorer just there. So they've got a lovely overload there. And once it comes back to... Oh, just clear that. Once it comes back to him, this pass is like a shot. He fires it out to him. But the key to it, and this is what they did so often, and this is what they do so well, Man City, is they overlap. They overlap with so much intensity. And he hasn't got anything else on his mind, Bernardo Silva. 
about getting around as quickly as possible. As soon as that ball gets to Mares, he knows he's got a 2v1. But the quicker they do it, the, the easier it is. And as a left-back, you've almost got no chance. And it just works perfectly. And as the ball then gets played to him, I just want to slow it down. It's perfect delivery. Foden is coming in there. He's made a great run. He knows that the ball can come to him. Oh, there. And it's a really good finish. It's a lovely little setback. Is that a no-look finish? Well, I know you called it, Kelly. I, I, I'm <laughs> going to give you that because it is a no-look finish. But I'm not convinced it's something that he means to do. It's just a really unusual technique. Because it comes to him back on this angle. Here we go here, Kelly. As it comes to him, it, it's on his wrong foot. We, we, we always, you always taught his kids to keep your eye on the ball. But look, he looks away from it just there. But it has got that Firmino sort of feel about it. Yeah. Are you giving him that down? What do you think? No-look finish? Yeah, for someone of that quality, yeah, 100%. And on his weaker foot Even as Even at 1-0 well. down, you're doing no-look finishes? <laughs> he could, I wouldn't. He would. <laughs> <laughs> I've closed my eyes a yeah. few times and done it. But... Oh, it's incredible. Incredible. It was, I mean, look, that, that was his goal. The, the second one came from, from a corner. And again, it was, it was Phil Foden's skill that, that led to Manchester City winning yeah, the corner. Yeah, Darren, I want to talk about this, this skill here. It's I mean, f- it's coming over his shoulder. It's the first touch. I mean, obviously, he gets a bit lucky in terms of ricochet, but the way he kind of manipulates the ball, goes around Matty Cash, he was, listen, he was brilliant, Foden. And even his delivery here, right on a sixpence in a danger area, to be fair. Villa don't quite clear it. Douglas Luiz there can get rid of it, but they keep it in there, and that's what Manchester City is so good at. They kind of swarm you and as it goes in there, I mean, as I said, Rodri gets in between the two centre-halves. Great header. I mean, as I said, Martinez, he can't quite get out. Can't get a fist on it. Comes a bit late. But Rodri's brave because a lot of, a lot of players in there wouldn't have put their head in there because they're scared that the, kill, the goalkeeper might punch his head off. But he doesn't and he gets his rewards. Yeah, and the skill. I, I, I mean, it's just the, the skill once that ball goes. I mean, it is a really good header, like you say. Yeah. But the, how, how quickly he gets it. You know, he gets a touch of luck, as you say. Yeah. But then once Matty Cash goes to close him, he just moves, his, he manipulates the ball so quickly. And that's what great players do. He's got that low centre of gravity, strength. And he just gave Matty Cash so many problems. And it ended up obviously causing him a red card because they couldn't live with him. Bernardo Silva, I think, deserves a lot of credit as well because we all talk about how good Kevin De Bruyne is. But I think Bernardo Silva was exceptional off that right-hand side. But you can see where Foden is, is operating. He's all down that left-hand side. He, and, and Darren made this point. He's effective. He gets into the box, into danger areas. Look how many touches he's got in there. At times he played as, as almost a central striker in the first half and Jesus would come out here. But he's so versatile and that's what makes him such a beautiful player to watch. It is. That, that decision to, to play him there from Pep Guardiola, because it's not necessarily where he'll end up playing Phil Foden, but is it about just getting the maximum from what he can offer Manchester City? Yeah, because he's got such great quality. And especially in them, them areas there where his tight control so good, he can go past people. But what I like about him is the goal threat that he carries. And there's always a bit of quality. He always, he can, we've seen him score goals this season. But when he's in and around the box, as a defender, he's one of them players, you can't stick a leg out because he'll go past you relatively easy. And if he doesn't score, he'll set up one of his teammates. But I said, tonight, he was, he was brilliant. I like Bernardo Silva, but for me, Foden was, the, was probably the best player on the pitch. Yeah. Do you think he'll end up more centrally, which is how he, he sort of developed through Manchester City? Yeah, I just think he can play anywhere. And I mm. think that's the modern game now, especially in that Man City side where they're, they're total football at times. I, mean, I remember when they played Liverpool in the season, he was incredible in that mm. performance. And he turned up on the right. He was tormenting the left back. And he does. And he's just got... I think with players like that, the important thing is you don't pin him down. You don't say stay in one position because he's so good. You just want to see him on the yeah. ball. He can work off either side he's so naturally adept off either foot he can score goals make goals I mean yeah it's hard not to get excited about this guy I mean I, I did think that he'll of course he's going to make the squad I think he maybe he might not start the tournament I reckon he'll finish it but he looks at the moment the way that yeah. he's going 
you can't keep him out of this team. No. And it would, it would make sense when you, when you say he might be up against it, Raheem Sterling for that, that place on the left at, at, for England. Does it make sense that, that uh, Gareth Southgate would be looking at taking somebody who is as versatile as Phil Foden, even if it's not to play him in, in his normal position for his, his club? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got, an, we've got a, an abundance of talent. You know, you've got Rashford on the left, you've got Sterling, you've got Mount, mm. you've got uh, Grealish if he's yeah. fit. So there's so many... I mean, we're trying to pick the team. We'll pick the 11. It's not that easy. But right now, it feels that he is just forcing his way into this 11. Not to the squad, to the starting 11 with performances like that. Because he's, getting, he's taking games by the scruff of the neck, of the neck by, at such an early age. Not many people do that. And he's played in the best team in the Premier League. Yeah. Playing a, a brand of football that we, we all love and want to see. Yeah. He's phenomenal. He's one of them as well. He's playing in a team where as we called it half-time, they don't need a centre-forward. Of course, they're, they're going to go after the big ones as we spoke about, but the way that they kind of all interchange positions, yeah. I mean, they must be impossible to mark. Mm. Bowden picks up intelligent positions, Bernardo Silva comes in off the left, Mahrez is in the middle sometimes. It's so difficult to mark, and I think for Gareth Southgate, he'll be looking at that thinking he wants more players in the squad that are not just rigid in one position that can play from the left, play number 10, maybe even play one of the midfield roles. And I think yeah. Foden fits that bill perfectly. We said about the education, because we, we all wondered what development, would he maybe stunt his growth staying at Man City and maybe not going out on loan. But the development day in, day out, playing with Bernardo Silva and David Silva last yeah. year and, and Kevin De Bruyne, that's an education that you cannot buy in every day learning off the best players in the world. Yeah. Turns out Pep Guardiola knows what he's doing in developing yeah, young players, doesn't it? <laughs> Another fantastic performance from Phil Foden in Manchester City's 2-1 win over Aston Villa. We'll get the thoughts of Pep Guardiola next. Manchester City are a maximum of eight points away from their third Premier League title in four years. Goals from Foden and Rodri as they came back from a goal down against Aston Villa. So focus back on the football after a couple of days in which the focus has been very much elsewhere in terms of conversation about the European Super League. And club captain Fernandinho wanted to address those issues. Here he is with Jeff Shreves. Now tell me as well, as the club captain, what has been like for you and the other players over the last three days during the whole Europa Super League situation? Well, it's been, it's been crazy, you know, since Saturday, you know, after the Chelsea defeat in the FA Cup semi-final. So the guys were a little bit down and then uh, the, on, on Monday this Super League uh, comes, comes up and uh, comes out. We were a little bit surprised, you know, we didn't expect so that, but at the end, you know, I think uh, the good sense wasn't the right, the right thing to do, you know. I think everyone which loves football didn't support this Super League, include, uh, include our players and our club. And of course, we are so happy now because everything was uh, turning around and uh, all the fans, all the, all the people which loves football now, is, is calm, but for sure, you know, it was a little bit surprise for everyone. Did you feel you were in a difficult position, the players? Because your club was one of the six from this country, did you feel you could come out publicly and say you were against it? Well, of course, it's a tough situation, you know. You know uh, first of all, you, want, you just want to find out, you know, from 
the, 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 the people at the top of the club to see the reason they, they, they are there, you know, uh, together with the other clubs. But at the end, you know, I think, uh, of course, we, we wanted to come out to, to say we are against that. But before we had a little shot between the players and uh, we all agreed and we waited for the club for the statement. But for sure, we, as I said, we are happy because at the end, uh, the football wins. Football fans wins. Football wins, football fans win, and this evening, Manchester City won. Fernandinho and his boss, Pep Guardiola, are a step closer to another Premier League title. It is extraordinary when, when you listen to Fernandinho talking about the way it's panned out, the fact that we kind of know, but it's interesting to hear him say that the players have found out about this almost at the same time as, as we have, that they've learned about these developments, like UEFA and FIFA saying potentially they wouldn't be able to play in the Euros or World Cups. To, to be able to, to focus on the game with that distraction in the background is quite a skill. It is a skill and it must be tough. Because as you said, you're not in your control. Obviously, one person at the club has made a decision to, to join a league and all of a sudden you're getting punished for it because they're saying that you potentially can't play for the country that, that you represent. So it's one of them where it must be incredibly difficult. I mean, obviously I'm not a player anymore, but to be in that kind of circumstance, don't know whether you're coming or going, it was difficult for everyone concerned in football. And it was, as I said, he made the right point in that finally we're past it and we're over it. But it was just a strange couple of days. And as I said, you have to take your play, the hat off to all the players for them to be able to play at the level that they did because it must be extremely difficult. And we're hearing from, from players after the clubs have, have decided to withdraw from that, that group of, of clubs who were, uh, hoping to, were hoping to set up the European Super League. There were also a couple of players who spoke out before that decision had, had been made. Does it seem strange to you, Jamie, that a decision of, of that magnitude will be made without any consultation with the players? Well, the lack of disregard, not just for the players, but for the fans in all of this is just astonishing. Mm -hmm. You know, you cannot make it up that they think that they could have dragged six clubs and taken into a Super League and not really had any thought of what the backlash could be. And the most important thing in, all, in football will always be the fans. Yeah. And for, did nobody say to them, you know what? Let's just make sure. Let's, are you sure this is a good idea? But to a they've all gone with it. Yeah. I can't believe it. It's like that Anton Deck sketch, isn't it? You know, when they said in, in your ear and they say to somebody, oh, let's, you know, let's start a Super League. <laughs> yeah. Really? You know, I mean, come on. What are they doing? This is ridiculous. And just, I'm so pleased that they, we have seen sense and the fans and everybody really is to a, to a football fan and has uh, said this is, now has to stop. And for it to happen and football to pull together in this situation is amazing. And they've, they've apologised, but there still could be consequences. No, sure. It's a big win for the fans because they made up that much noise. I've never heard such anger from supporters. And you're right. It shows that, because obviously we know how much money's in football, and these owners have said they've got the most money, so they're going to just jump into this league. And the fans have just not let it happen. And that's probably scared the owners now that they can't, what decisions do they make next now? Because mm. if the fans kick up enough of a fuss, you just can't, it's just not that easy to just roll over and do what you want. You can't do that. Mm. It is amazing now that, plans, that the players have such a voice. Because mm. I think in, in, in my day, I think we'd have probably just said, OK, well, whatever we have to do, and you wouldn't have spoken to the owners. But I think players now, the power that they have, I think it's right. And we look at what Marcus Rashford has done off the field mm. and, and how he's got legislations changed in, 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 in Parliament. Players now have so much power. 
It social media helps. Social media helps. Social media. And, yeah, and also an understanding of, of yeah. you know, of a social conscience. I think that is the difference. Mm. And they've realised it, because this is all boiled down to money and greed. But the players have stood up and they've realised that the fans don't want to accept it. But they've also got involved because a lot of the time the fan, as a player, you're going, I don't upset my owners because maybe they think about contracts or whatever that re- yeah. repercussions could be. But not for one second have they done that. And I think they deserve a lot of credit as well. Yeah, there's the old stick to football adage, isn't there? But yeah. the fact that players are finding their Voice. Do you think that's a good thing? It is a good thing. Um, and as I said, I think social media certainly plays its big part. When we listen, we know how negative it's been portrayed, obviously, with some of the online abuse, which is terrible. But in times like this, where we all need to come together, and you're hearing the players putting out these statements on social media, and obviously they've got big following, some of them, millions of followers. I think there is a connect between the fans and players. And I think if ever there was a situation where that needed to be bigger than ever, it was this situation we just saw where, as you said, the owners have tried to take it upon themselves to kind of create a new league. But fans, players, everyone who loves it, like the purists, the football purists, all came together. And the players certainly used their platforms, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, whatever it was, as a voice to kind of put out there that they didn't want this to happen. And it's not instead of football, it's as well as football, because there was a game tonight and Manchester <laughs> City won it by two goals to one to move a step closer to the Premier League title. Here's Pep Guardiola with Jeff Shreves. Pep, you've taken yourself within eight points of the title, but how much did you have to do it the hard way tonight? Uh, it was not the best start uh, that we, we imagined, uh, but we were reacting incredible well. We played so good. Uh, and uh, yeah, and after 10 against 11, and after you know when Cash was sent off as well, was uh, there, and that was a good, a really good performance. And uh, the team was committed. We know how important it was. So the Premier League is the most important title of the year. So 11 months fighting, fighting, and we need, uh, yeah, we need seven points. Two victories, one draw, and uh, yeah, next one, Crystal Palace. We're going to try to 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 get it closer. What did you put that slow start down to? It was within 20 seconds. They just catch you by surprise. It's not a slower start. <laughs> to to realise a slower start, you need five ten minutes. It was not even five ten minutes. It was 20 seconds. Know, 20 seconds. So it was a fault. And after yeah, we knew it. Mings always played to a channel to Watkins that played so good. But uh, but since then you need sometimes to realise how <laughs> to react in that situations, and especially with 10 against 11, the minutes we play, we play really well. The, when we had the ball and uh, yeah we were lucky at the end we equalised the send-offs the 10 against 10 and after we controlled the game with the players that we had with, with Riyadh with Bernardo with Gundo with Phil with Rodri have the quality to keep the ball and yeah we finished the game You clearly weren't happy with the red card why do you think Johnstone shouldn't have been sent off? First I didn't see the action in the, in the TV so it's late but the intention is is no because uh, he won the balls, go late and do it. So, but now because we weren't happy, it was uh, Lewis who will be angry. <laughs> but it's okay. So it's tough to play. It's a good lesson for the final on on, on Sunday. You play a final 10-11, there's no chance, and especially with the Champions League games against PSG. Does it make it worse if you didn't obviously agree with it in the first place? But the fact he misses the chance to play in a final as well. Well, yeah, and the fact that but we played really well. We we're so intense, so aggressive with the ball, with with always the intention to find the spaces where you should attack. Uh, and everybody runs. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good performance, honestly. As Aston Villa, he is always difficult. Of course, they miss a lot, Jack really. So, but um, but in general, we, we we did a good a good a good game.
you mentioned a number of your players there that played well tonight. In particular, how impressed were you this evening with Phil Foden and his contribution? He's growing. This guy is growing. Uh, he's making steps every time he steps forward. So his influence in our game is, is massive right now. So scored a goal, provoked the two yellow cars, and then the final third always had the feeling create, run a lot. He's so aggressive without the ball. Uh, yeah, he's, he's becoming a, a serious player. Is he ahead of where you expected him to be at this age? There are there are guys with a 19, 20 year old that are unstoppables, and there are the other ones with 29, 30. They are not. So he, the players mark what they are on the pitch, on the grass, on the green, and and that dictate in that in this place dictate who they are. And feel from right now for uh, the last game especially, is, is becoming a so important player. So against Dortmund. Scored a, you know, scored a goal. Uh, the second one, the cross for the penalty, the final goal in the last minute against Dortmund at home. His influence in the final third is so important, and he can play wide, can play inside. He's so aggressive with the with the ball, and yeah, just recover, recover well, and I think next one. Thanks, Pep. You're very welcome. Guardiola full of praise for, for Phil Foden but as you'd expect just saying lots of players who are good at 20 who aren't necessarily having the same effect when they're, when they're 29 so encouraging him to kind of to keep progressing in the, in the way that he is Manchester City progressing extremely well this season they're on the verge of, of winning their third Premier League title in, in yeah. four years these are their remaining fixtures should Manchester United drop any points in their remaining three games Manchester City could win it against Chelsea on May the 8th. Interestingly, the same fixture in which the title was won last season. Pep Guardiola said it's seven points that required because their goal difference is, is so good. Technically, it's eight to make absolutely sure. But do you see them, any issues with them getting those, those eight no, points from the I, final Premier League games in there? I don't. It was so important, that result today. When they went 1-0 down, you probably, there was maybe a little wobble, but no, they soon got back in it. And the way they played, the intensity, there was only going to be one winner. They strangled a life out of that game. They were too good, too strong. And they're a phenomenal side. Phenomenal manager. A, a real joy to watch. I think we said last year, you, know, you have Liverpool and Man's side. I, I just find it... They're so easy on the eye. The movement they play it with, and it looks like they've got more players on the pitch all the time than any team they play against. And that is an art form to keep controlling game like they do. Well, at the end of that game, both teams had ten players on the pitch, both Aston Villa and Manchester City. And City uh, Villa took a very early lead in the game after just 21 seconds, but City came back and they took all three points. We'll hear from Dean Smith next. Another good night for Phil Foden and Manchester City. Aston Villa, though, on the wrong end of a 2-1 scoreline. Let's hear from Dean Smith with Jeff Street. Dean, it was eventful and plenty of drama. What did you make of it? Uh, great start. Um, played a ball in behind them with a quick, quick free kick, which is what we spoke about. And, uh, and then had to defend very well because they had 25 minutes of wonderful football, passing and moving and... Um, the disappointing part for me is the manner of the goals. You know, uh, we know Edison's got um, a, a good strike, and he strikes it 70 yards. They pick up the second ball and, and go and score from that. And then a second phase corner kick. If 
if you lose against Manchester City, you want them to be working wonderful, executed goals rather than the goals that were conceded. And that's a disappointing part. And, and then the sending off is, is stupid and reckless from Cashy. I thought his first yellow was harsh, um, but the second one's stupid and reckless. And you won't have a better chance 11 v 10 against Man City. It's the worst thing the fact he'd just been booked or indeed where he was on the pitch a fairly innocuous part of the pitch a bit of, a bit of both um, as I said I thought the first one was harsh it was a it was a pull nothing more a foul um, you don't seem to well you didn't seem to see many of them given I thought their red card was a yellow as well though um, you know I think you can slow anything down and it looks worse than it actually was but it's right in front of me it's right in front of our bench and he's gone for the ball and he's, he's caught the man you see that all the time you made a change at half time so how much does the sending off destroy what you've changed for the second half while he had the numerical advantage yeah it was, you know our plan was to go out there and, and get it into the front two and play behind them that's where we felt that's where we scored our goal we never played behind them enough we got a few good crosses in in the first five or ten minutes of the second half but once we had the man sent off then you know, the, your plan from half-time goes out the window, so to speak. We've committed to the two men and we decided to go three at the bat then and, and go toe-to-toe. To, toe to toe. I thought he was a, a bit more even at, at 10 v 10, if, if I'm honest, but they've got better technically gifted players than we have on, on the ball. Thanks, Dean. Cheers, thank you. Cheers, thank you. Always handy to get a fast start against Manchester <laughs> City, but 21 seconds, the joint fastest goal in the Premier League this season, along with, with Almiron, and it was John McGinn, and they did get in behind Manchester City. Well, I said before that this is the way I thought they could hurt Manchester City. Chelsea did it a lot of the weekend in the, the semi-final of the FA Cup, and it was here, you can see that it's, it's routine. I mean, it goes to, to Matt Target, and he literally just stops it, and Ollie Watkins is already on his bike because he knows that Tyrone Mings is just going to leave it behind, and with his pace... I thought it could, it could cause them one or two problems and obviously it worked for the first 22 seconds. I don't think we saw it again for the, the rest of the 90 minutes, but it worked perfectly. I, I think John Stones, mate, I'm, I'm just surprised he goes in with his left foot. I think if he takes that, he clears it wherever he's right. It wasn't a day to remember for him. I mean, that one there, clear it with your right foot. He decides mm. to go with his left and makes a mistake and it obviously gets punished and that's sometimes what happens in football. Gareth Southgate was there watching. He'll have had his eye caught by Phil Foden. What will he be thinking about John Stones, do you think? I don't think any different. I think you know, people have off days, but it certainly wasn't his best one. Uh, Dean Smith didn't think this is a red. I, I do. I think it's reckless. I think it's high. And I think the way, not just a modern game, I think that, that's, that's a dangerous challenge. You know, you, I don't understand why you're making it and you're challenging so high. It's a straight legger. You can see it there. That's not an ideal challenge. And I think it was the, it was the right thing to give him a red card. Lots of competition in, in Phil Foden's position. What about for, for John Stones? Is he a, a first pick for Gareth Southgate? Yeah, I mean, listen, we know he, he had a, 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 a bit of an issue in the last international. He made a mistake. Um, but he has been brilliant all season. Yeah. And again, tonight he was one of them, them rare. It reminded me of John Stones of old, where he was going for a period where he was a bit inconsistent. Decision-making was a bit off. But again, tonight he, he made decisions. But this season, on, as a whole, in general, he's been, I think he's been very, very good. He's been brilliant. And to be fair, from where he was to where he is now. I mean, the, the turnaround's been remarkable. So, Aston Villa going to the second half, 2-1 down, but with a numerical advantage on, on the pitch. How frustrating, then, is it that, that Matty Cash gets sent off for two yellow cards within three minutes of each other? Yeah, I mean, the first one's a little bit harsh, I mean, but it is probably is a booking because he, he, he drags back Phil Foden, um, even though he's, he's going to an area where there's a defender already there, so it's a bit petulant, if anything. But you're right, against Manchester City, you don't want to give them any kind of encouragement. I mean, I think they're already dominating the ball, even with 10 men. 
But then after that one, but this one here, I mean, he, lo he loses concentration, he miscontrols the ball, and it's folded again, it's so sharp. But the most impressive thing about that is the two touches, is where he miscontrols it, and he's round Matty Cash in a flash. And as I said, he's reckless. Just stay on your feet, especially when you've just been booked. And the fact that you fly in there, it's so disappointing. I think, you know what, it's born, by, it's born out of being so frustrated because Phil Foden will give you the runaround. <laughs> and I think that's what Matty's now got. Look, he's got the, you can see it there, he's like a red rag to a ball, and he wants a bit of him because he hasn't been able to get near him most of the game. And this shows you, and I like Matty Cash as a right-back, I think he's really good, but yeah. Foden just did it to him all game. And that comes out of frustration, a little yeah. bit of anger. <laughs> We've all been there, the red mist sets in. And it's obviously cost his team. That's what Foden does, that's what Manchester been City Foden. do. I think they call it, you've been Foden. <laughs> Is that your new thing for uh, the yeah, day? Well, <laughs> was, let's hope he does it yeah, for England as well. So light entertainment. Uh, Jamie, oh, thank you very much for joining us. And thank you, Darren, as well. Let's take a look at what else is coming up for you on Sky Sports. There's live cricket tomorrow with the Royal Challengers against the Rajasthan Royals at 2.50 on Sky Sports Cricket in the IPL. And Super League <laughs> continues. Huddersfield against St Helens, 7 o'clock on Sky Sports Arena. And then on Friday at 7.30, it's Hull FC against Wakefield. And then it's back to the football on Friday night as well. Arsenal take on Everton from 7.30 on Sky Sports Premier League. The Saturday night football gets underway with West Ham against Chelsea. A huge game in terms of the top four. Uh, Sheffield United against Brighton follows. And on Super Sunday, it's Leeds against Manchester United from 1 o'clock. And from 4 o'clock on Sky Sports Football is Manchester City against Tottenham in the Carabao Cup final. But Manchester United this evening, uh, Manchester City this evening moved a step closer towards lifting the Premier League title. They're eight points away. Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app, and while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So Right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. So today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Sometimes life can definitely be challenging and we need some more support. So if you've ever found yourself feeling like happiness is just out of reach or if there's something keeping you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp might be able to lend a hand. 
They give you access to licensed and accredited psychologists, therapists, and counselors, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, right? They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can start communicating with in less than a couple days. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they're gonna make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And with BetterHelp's worldwide service, you can find the particular expertise you need online and you don't have to limit yourself to just one type of counselor available in your area. Their licensed professional counselors specialize in a variety of topics like depression, stress, and anxiety, relationships, sleep, and everything you share is confidential, of course, and kept safe in their private online environment. And I want you to start living happier today. So as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash SPI. You can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash SPI. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, one of his college roommates, travels all around the globe on the World Poker Tour, Pat Flynn. So this past week, we spoke to Stu McLaren, a master of membership communities. And it made me think about the first time that I actually joined a membership community. I wanted to tell that story today because I think it's really important for all of us to sort of remember where we came from. If we're helping people do something that we have done before, it's very, very important to go back into our, our own past to try to remember how we felt, what was what it was like, and all that kind of stuff in order to best serve those who we are trying to help move forward. And this relates to something that I come to know as the curse of knowledge, something that we're trying to fight through. Right, The curse of knowledge is essentially the idea that if you know something, if you've experienced something before, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to know what it's like not to know that thing anymore. Right, Once you know it, you can't not know it anymore in most cases. And this is a very tough thing for creators, for educators, for anybody who is trying to teach anybody anything to understand. So this is why when we go back into our own past, it can help us with the future. And whatever it is that you're teaching, I want you to perhaps run this exercise yourself too. But I'm gonna tell you the story. This is my own exercise expressed out loud for you. And hopefully it might even give you a picture of what it might, might be like if you're maybe trying to create your own membership community or perhaps you are wanting to be a part of one and you haven't been a part of one before. You might know my story. I got laid off in 2008 from my architecture job, and it was actually a podcast like this one that saved me. It was called Internet Business Mastery. It was hosted by two gentlemen, Jason Van Orden and Jeremy Franson. And it was funny because he was going by a pseudonym at the time, Sterling, which is, I always like, I don't know, it was just interesting to me when I found out that his name was just Jeremy. But Sterling and Jay was was were the hosts that I've come to know. And I fell in love with the show and I really befriended them. I didn't know them, but they were just two guys on the airwaves, just like I'm here chatting with you. I got to know them really well and they provided me a lot of comfort. They provided me a lot of inspiration. And it was actually on that podcast that I heard an interview with Cornelius Fitchner, who was a person making six figures a year, helping people pass the project management exam or the PM exam. And that was my light bulb moment. That was like the first time I heard about anything like that. And I took that inspiration and I turned it into a website to help people not pass the PM exam, but to pass a particular architecture exam. And that started the whole thing. But 
while I was learning all this stuff, you know, I was listening to the podcast and they were giving me a lot of great information. They had a lot of free information on their show and on their blog, but then they came out with this thing called the Internet Business Mastery Academy, IBMA, IBMA, and they pitched it on their show. I heard a number of people who had joined it and, and I definitely wanted to be a part of that. So first lesson, people don't want to join something that other people aren't already a part of. So the more that you can share how others are getting value from something, the more likely it is a person's gonna wanna join in, right? We are we are a species of group mentality. And so if you are promoting something that involves a group, you definitely wanna share success stories and motivational stories from within the group itself. And if you have a podcast or some sort of platform to have those people tell those stories, then even better, for sure. So I got really interested and it seemed very expensive to me at the time. I had just started my business and forking over $97 a month was something that made me kind of hesitate a little bit, but I saw the value that was inside. I kept hearing these amazing stories from within. So I figured, you know what? I'm gonna join. If I don't like it, they say there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Okay, all the risk is on them. So let's give it a shot. And I remember just being brought in with welcome arms and feeling very comfortable with who is there. It was back in the day before a lot of the software that we now have available, like Teachable and and other things to help manage communities, Circle. These things didn't exist back then, but the framework that they had still was inviting. It was very much like a forum with content sort of laid on top of it. And I got to meet people really, really quickly. And I remember that was the most comforting thing, just kind of trying to find other people like me who were there. So the next lesson here is if you are bringing a community together, uh, the onboarding process is really, really important. And having people find other people like them is gonna be absolutely key to help people understand that they are not alone. Because it was at that time, although I felt alone buying this thing, I was very quick to find other people like me and other conversations where I kind of understood the language or was getting inspiration. and, And that was really key to see that there right up front. Now, if you're launching a membership and you don't quite yet have a bunch of members in there, then launch with a smaller group with the expectation that they know that, well, okay, there's nobody here yet, but they're gonna be the first. And so they get maybe a founder's discount and they get special access and they get first crack at it and all that kind of stuff. And that's very important. That's a lot of value, but they can help fill in the forums. They can help create conversations such that when there comes a point to launch this thing publicly, you're now more able to see that there's activity in there and you can even share already some of the connections and success stories that are coming from within. Anyway, that was very comforting to see those conversations already happening. But I remember still being a little reluctant, right, to type anything or to say anything. I was just kind of reading along and I remember finally mustering up the courage to just ask a question and within a day, getting a response and it was actually the answer that I needed. So again, big lesson, if a person is coming into your community, you wanna make sure that they feel heard, you wanna make sure that they feel like they belong. It was really reassuring to already get some quick wins from being inside this group. And that's something that we try to offer in SPI Pro, for example, and something you should try to offer if people are joining your community or even your courses or Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups, whatever the case may be. Now there came a point a couple weeks in, because I was definitely heavy into fine-tuning my website, getting my offers and my sales pages going and all that sort of stuff, where it definitely started to feel a little overwhelming, to be honest. And I got to the point where I was just kind of, you know, putting a lot of excuses into play. Oh, there's, you know, too much stuff here. 
I guess I'm not cut out for this. This should come easier, but it's not. You know, all the things I could say to stop myself from moving forward as we do. And I remember it was kind of, I don't know if how it was planned this way, or I, I think it happened every month or every other week or something, but they had a live call. And I think it was just a conference call, but, you know, not even, like, I don't think there was a webinar software. It could have been GoToWebinar or something. I don't remember. But it, it was a live setting of sorts. I think it was just a phone call. Now we have, of course, Zoom and Demio and other places where we can meet online in a more real-time setting with video and audio. But this, I think, was just like a conference call, phone conference call. But it was still live. And I remember attending that because I had just like a question or two that, were, that was holding me back. And I remember Jeremy and Jason mentioning my name asking my question and then answering it. And I got what I needed. Like I just got what I needed right there. And, you know, these were questions that I didn't really get direct answers from or could find answers from within the groups and the forums. I mean, this was a little bit more advanced and nobody knew how to answer it. So the fact that I had a little bit of access went a very, very long way. And if anybody is listening to this, if you are, an SPI student, you've taken one of my courses and you've attended office hours, you know that's exactly what I offer. Every week on Thursday, I offer two hours, every week actually, for any students of any SPI courses to come in and just get any answers to any questions they might have. And I don't charge any extra for that. Jeremy and Jason didn't. And I just remember how great it was to get just even just a couple questions answered from the creators such that I can move forward. And and that's what I offer every single week within the SPI courses. And that's, again, just something I include because it was something that I learned from Jeremy and Jason. And whether you do that monthly or you have a different kind of mechanism to collect questions and then make sure these answers are provided or, you know, I know some people who have membership communities and courses who take these questions and they actually answer them on public YouTube videos so that, yes, those questions are answered. They even display the question from a member which promotes then their membership. But it also provides a way for new traffic to come in. Now, I don't do that with office hours. I could, and I know the power of YouTube, so I probably should. But no, I I keep it more exclusive for the students, and that's just my choice and something I want to do. But I remember feeling very much a, a sense of relief when I would get those questions answered. And I, it was also nice to hear questions from other people too. Like even though I got my questions answered or I had to wait to get my question answered, it was A, reassuring to hear other people ask questions and also to continue to hear Jeremy and Jason provide these answers. And it just solidified their expertise even more. So just again, some examples from my own history with relation to this membership community. Now, eventually I got to the point after two or three years being in this community where I I just kind of outgrew it. And I was kind of setting on my own path. I had gone through setting up my website and building my business. I was making $20,000, $30,000 a month at this point and starting my journey within the niche site duel. And so I had a lot of things happening and I decided to cancel my membership. But I am forever grateful of what Jeremy and Jason offered me. And this is actually what, like, I, it's interesting because the feedback that I'm getting now from SPI Pro, which is our academy type situation. You can check it out at smartpassiveincome.com slash pro. It's like literally what I remember saying to Jeremy and Jason, the feedback we are getting here at Team SPI from members from SPI Pro. It's like, it's just on another level, even beyond the online courses because of the community aspect, because of the memberships and masterminds that are happening. We put people together into little groups and they meet up with each other. 
when we get back into a setting where we can meet in person again. I imagine SPI Pro is going to have meetups in person in different locale. That's going to be really neat. And it's something that I'm looking forward to. Again, if you want to check out SPI Pro, you can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash pro. But this is just an exercise for me to remember what it was like in the beginning because Yes, we are doing those things to allow people to feel like they belong. We are getting people into the community and making them feel like they're being heard, having their questions answered. We're running events. We have book clubs. We are doing all these kinds of things to have some of the same things that I received from Jeremy and Jason back in the day, but in a different way, using the technology that we now have available. So I want you to think about who it is that you're trying to serve, and if you already have a membership of some kind or you're imagining creating one in the near future, or perhaps you have some online courses or some other mechanisms by which people can transact with you, what is that experience like? Because a lot of times, and this is just what irks me a little bit about online businesses, we do everything we can until we get the sale. But unfortunately, that's the end for many. And if the sale is all you're going for, well, that's too bad because that, customer, and I don't even like using that word, that student, that learner, that person, that human being can become somebody who can continue to transact with you again and again. Your best customers are your current customers. And they are the people who are going to support you and shout out your brand, just like I'm shouting out Internet Business Mastery. And unfortunately, that program isn't what it once was anymore. I think it I don't, I don't even know if it exists anymore. Jeremy and Jason are kind of doing their own thing now, but we're trying to fill in the gaps here with SPI Pro. And it's really important, again, to think about the things that happened back in the day and to get yourself in the shoes of those who are going through what it is that you're offering. If you can at all speak to anybody who's going through your programs right now, do it. Those conversations are absolute gold. They are some of the most enlightening, inspiring, eye-opening, truth-giving, life-living, I don't know, I'm just trying to wrap now, but truly, like, it is absolutely one of the best things you can do. Now, let's say you're listening to this and you're like, Pat, I don't have a program, I don't have a product, I don't have a membership yet, what can I do? It's the same answer. Number one, know who it is that you are hoping to speak to, your target audience, your niche. Number two, talk to them. Ask them what they might need help with. What are they struggling with? Because you are creating that journey for them right now and you are writing their future. And when you can help them, that's gonna in turn help you and your business too. I think it was Zig Ziglar who said, you can get anything you want in life so long as you help other people get what they want. Similar to how I always say that your earnings are a byproduct of how well you serve your audience. And when you serve those people, who are there already, whether they're people who are on your email list or students or customers or whatever you wanna call them, people who have already been in your ecosystem, when you serve them even deeper, when you not upsell them, but you upserve them, those are the people who become the super fans. Thank you for listening. I hope this has inspired you to think about your past and the future of your own members, students, learners. Cheers, thanks so much. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in next week's episode. Thanks again for listening to these follow-up Friday episodes. I hope you enjoy them. If you do, hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Pat Flynn. I always love to hear it. They're very encouraging, especially because we're doubling down on podcasts this year with both the Wednesday interview and the Friday follow-up. 
with just me, and I'm loving it so far. I hope you're loving it too. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income podcast at smartpassiveincome.com. I'm your host, Pat Flynn. Sound design and editing by Paul Gregoris. Our senior producer is Sarah Jane Hess. Our series producer is David Grabowski. And our executive producer is Matt Gartland. The Smart Passive Income Podcast is a production of SPI Media. We'll catch you in the next session. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. The success of your entire business depends on creating a genuine connection with your audience. You know this, right? People only buy from people they know, like, and trust, whether or not it's online or in person. So how do you build a relationship with your audience on the internet and effectively grow your business at the same time? Well, for me, the number one answer is webinars and virtual workshops. When you host valuable and engaging webinars, you can build trust, you can grow your list, you can sell products. I've done this before, actually. Webinars are a key component to how we make money in our business, and you can learn now to do the same thing with my course, A to Z Webinars. I'm gonna teach you everything from A to Z in terms of how to create, promote, and run webinars and virtual workshops that grow your list, increase trust, and help you ultimately make more money. I wanna walk you through all of it, from the mindset stuff you need to win with webinars, the behind the scenes to the technology so it's easy, You're gonna get in-depth training for each phase of the webinar and workshop creation process, and I'm here to help you. So for a limited time, you can get ADZ webinars for just $399. That's $100 off the retail price, and get my bonus workshop, Pricing for Profit, where you'll learn how to accurately price your products or services so you can get paid fairly, increase your profit, and grow financially. If you're hearing this ad, that means the offer still is around, and as soon as this ad disappears, it'll go away. And that's going away April 26th at 9 p.m. Pacific. So visit smartpassiveincome.com slash A2Z, A-T-O-Z, and that's where you get the discount and the bonuses. Again, it's smartpassiveincome.com slash A to Z. But the fun doesn't have to stop here. If you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback, head over right now to Twitter and Facebook and like, share, and get involved. Join us next time.
Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.